Hi, I've been getting a lot of emails from all of you, which I love. I have heard from a few people that they found my replies in their junk box. So if you have not heard back from me, please check your junk box. And some might be coming from hello at WTFJustHappened.net. And some might be coming from my personal email, Liz at WTFJustHappened.net. So check for both emails because I do get back to everyone. Also, if you have not heard back, please just hit resend. I've been getting a little inundated and might have been slower than I meant to be replying. Or maybe your email got buried or accidentally deleted, so please don't feel bad reaching out again. I want to hear from all of you, and I will definitely reply, even if at times it might have to take me a little longer than I would like. So I look forward to hearing from all of you. I met today's guest, Louis Monero, when I took classes with him on how to go out of body. Lewis graduated with honors in chemistry from Florida International University. He then began studying and developing his abilities in paranormal phenomena in his early teens. He began giving classes on OBEs, paranormal phenomena, and spiritual growth in 1996, including at the college level, Miami-Dade College, from 97 to 2002. Since he's multilingual, He has lectured on various topics related to the out-of-body experience in several countries around the world, and he's helped thousands of individuals develop their own skills. Lewis has been featured in a number of media outlets around the world, and he has also been invited to speak at several international congresses, such as the First and Second International Congress on Consciousness. As a researcher, he has published several papers and has developed research lines related to the study of OBEs, paranormal phenomena, and consciousness. Several of his works have been published in various scientific journals. He was director of the IAC, International Academy of Consciousness, Florida Center from 1999 to 2001, and was the executive director of the IAC California Center from 2003 to 2018. He was president of the IAC globally from 2014 to 2018. Since 2018, Lewis offers classes regularly, volunteers, and is one of the founding partners of Mosaic Wellness and Health, a spiritual institution with a broader approach where individuals can grow in their own way. Welcome to What the Fuck Just Happened? I'm your host, Liz Enton. If you listen to the intro, you know my story. If not, here's a brief summary. I'm a science skeptic, and when my dad died, I took a shot in the dark and decided to investigate if there was any possible evidence of an afterlife. I assumed that was as realistic as Santa Claus, but I was desperate. However, I was so blown away by what I discovered that I wrote a book and launched this podcast. In this podcast, I will be talking to some fairly normal people about some really weird shit. I speak with everyone from psychic mediums and afterlife researchers to ordinary people who've had some inexplicable experiences. So come 
Listen, there's no need to draw any final conclusions. Keep an open mind and wonder, what the fuck just happened? Hi everyone, today I am speaking with Luis Monero. He is the founder of Mosaic Wellness and Education. And he is also author of Demystifying the OBE. And I have taken classes with him and read his book. So, Louis, go ahead. Oh, thank you. Thank you, first of all, Liz, for, for this opportunity, for uh, taking the time here to, to be here. And yes, yes, I, as along with a few of my uh, other colleagues, you know, we uh, started this institution, Mosaic Wellness and Education, which, you know, gives classes on uh, spirituality and on uh, development, evolution, personal development, etc. And in my case, I don't know if, you know, I can say a couple of things about me, you know, besides being the author of the Demystifying the Art of Party Experiences book. I've been giving classes and my colleagues as well, you know, already for decades, really. I won't say how long, otherwise it'll be a little embarrassing for me, but uh, for <laughs> for decades. And in my case, I had the fortune of learning a few languages. So I've had the opportunity to teach people how to have out-of-party experiences in basically all corners of the world, you know, uh, you name it, Australia, Europe, South America, etc. And, you know, uh, we're still at it. We certainly, uh, through Mosaic Wellness and Education, we, you know, offer different classes. Some of them are even recorded that people can take advantage of. And then uh, we have a period of time in which they come and can ask us basically any question about their experiences, about, you know, uh, their paranormal abilities, their development, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, yeah, in a nutshell, I guess <laughs> that is me. <laughs> Well, it's great to have you on and see you again. I learned a lot early on in my research from you. And so I guess, first of all, what exactly is an OBE, out-of-body experience? Yeah, yeah. Let's start uh, with the basics for sure. So this is, this is basically the moment in which we disconnect from the body and we are, we're able to recover awareness, consciousness, while we are outside the body, usually the body of the person is uh, sleeping. And then, uh, so normally it happens at night. And while we are in an out-of-body experience disconnected, we can have direct observation, direct experience of these other non-physical realities. Uh, not just of the non-physical realities, but also as well of the physical realities. And we can see things, we can learn things, we can travel to different places, we can understand those a little bit better. And then the person comes back into their physical body and wakes up and is able to remember the experience, which is also a, a, an important factor. And, and you know, in, in summary, that's what an out-of-body experience is. The reason sometimes it might get a little, what could I say, confusing at the beginning is because the level of awareness is not always, or, or it fluctuates. It's not always the same when we are outside the body. But in a classical, typical out-of-body experience, we find ourselves as lucid, as aware, as conscious as we are right now. You know, being able to remember things, being able to, you know, decide things to control our physical body, to, to think, to, you know, generate speech, etc. And, you know, that, uh, that lets us know, right, that we are having a real experience. I'm going to get back 
to everything you said and ask a lot of questions <laughs> about it. All right. Let's fill, let's fill in the gaps. <laughs> first, I'm going to ask you one question before we get back to that. What got you into all of this in the first place? It's not the most typical stuff. Yes. Yes. No, I agree. I agree. Not the, not the most conventional, uh, you know, of topics. And it's funny you say that sometimes, you know, when I am uh, talking to relatives that I haven't seen in decades and they ask me, oh, you give classes of what? Sometimes I am a little hesitant, you know, <laughs> to go deep into, into the entire topic. <laughs> but of course, you know, with you or people that, you know, want to understand about the topic is perfectly fine. Even with them, I usually, you know, tell them it's just that afterwards there is this silence and this blank stare. <laughs> But uh, what, what got me into it, actually, and sometimes they had a little bit to do with that. I mean, my relatives that I haven't seen in a while, is that I started having them involuntarily when I was about 12 years old, more or less. And um, uh, I can tell you my first experience, if, if that, uh, that is interesting. Yes, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, so I, I was 12. I actually, uh, at that time, my father had bought me a, my first computer. And it was, uh, you know, I know maybe some people are going to laugh at this, but the brand of the computer was Atari. But this wasn't the console game, the video game. This was an actual computer that has a, had a programming language. But in any case, I had the habit when I was, you know, about 12, 13 of coming back from, from school and I had the computer in my room connected to an old black and white uh, TV. And then I would start to think about the program I wanted to program to play around a little bit. Really, it was nothing complex. And on that specific day, I started to get sleepy. And I just simply, you know, leaned back on my bed and went to sleep. Probably because I was doing a more intellectual activity of trying to, you know, figure out uh, a program. Maybe after a half an hour or so, I, I couldn't say how long, I was again staring at the black and white TV there with my hands on the keyboard and, after a, and thinking about the program. And after a little bit, it dawned on me like, didn't I go to sleep? I thought I was sleepy. I thought I had fallen asleep. And then I sort of like turned around to try to see if I had gone to sleep. And that's when I saw my physical body in the bed. And that surprised me a little bit. And I went into the body. And I woke up almost immediately and I was sort of like thinking, wait a second, but I was over there, but I was here, but over there, but here. And honestly, I didn't understand. I was, I was about 12 or 13. And really that was the first one. Probably after that, somebody called me to go play. One of my relatives called me, one of my cousins to go play baseball or soccer. And just, you know, I completely put it out of my mind. But after that, I started having experiences, not with a lot of frequency, maybe once every year and a half or something like that. And I realized after the second or third one, oh, this is the same one that I had, you know, uh, three years ago or five years ago. So because of that. The same one, you mean you'd end up in the same place? The same, like the same type of experience. Really, I didn't have a name for it. So sometimes I would, I would remember, I would call it like that type of cool dream, I guess, was my, the expression that I had. I didn't know that, you know, books had already been written about it and that there was information about it. So that was, in essence, you know, what, uh, how they started. And that's why, obviously, you know, later on when I was able to get my hands on books on OBEs and I realized that it was called out of body experience and astral travel, etc., you know, was very interested in the topic, of course. 
You're very lucky that it just happened to you at 12 because I've been trying and trying. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Some, some people have a little bit more of a predisposition, right? Just like anything, really. Some people have a predisposition for sports, for music, etc. So some have a little bit of a predisposition towards paranormal phenomena. And then, you know, it, uh, it happens since, uh, since an early age. Yeah, indeed. In the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned one of the goals is to remember what happened, which made me wonder, is this something that's happening to us all the time, maybe when we're sleeping and most of us just don't remember it? Yes, indeed. You know, what you observe, and you can even see this when you have out-of-party experiences, that when people go to bed and lie down to sleep at night, you know, they disconnect from their body with this other, I'm going to call it the astral body, probably is the name that most people have uh, have heard, but obviously has received a lot of other names. So we disconnect from the body and we basically spend, you know, the entire night floating above the body, but unaware, unconscious, just you know, basically sleeping and, and, and if anything, paying a little bit of attention to the dream. But from time to time, we do have awareness outside the body as we are sleeping. And when we come back, because also the recollection of the experience is something that needs to be trained and developed, sometimes we recall it like a fuzzy dream. Uh, sometimes, sometimes we don't recall it at all. There, there are several cases of uh, people i have even seen students that they you know after a few months they develop well their out-of-body experiences and then while they are outside the body let's say they are in their 40s and while they're out they are outside the body they're able to remember this experience that they had when they were 16 and they remember the house they used to live in and their bed and everything but and they also remember at that time that i had that experience the memory of that experience didn't make it to the brain. I wasn't able to remember it. But now that they are again manifesting with the same body with which they had the experience with the astral body, they're able to, you know, or they have the opportunity to go back with the recollection of both, right? The one that they had when they were 16 and the current one. Why do you think this is going out of body and not dreams or just a type of almost hypnosis meditation where you access your childhood memories? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good question. Good question. It's, it's, it's certainly different in, uh, in the sense that you, you're not remembering, how could I say, a physical experience of your childhood, which could be, you know, we could do through any of these, uh, how could I say, techniques that you are mentioning here, including in the out-of-body experience, you're able to remember your childhood. But in this case, you're remembering an, a non-physical experience. So, for example, you're remembering that you were floating above your uh, above your uh, body. You went through the door. You were, you know, floating in your living room. You saw the dog walking by in the middle of the night. You came back, etc. So the person realizes, I am very aware. I am very lucid, and I'm able to remember this memory of this non-physical period. You think all of us have out-of-body experiences just the way all of us dream, but some of us remember these out-of-body experiences better than others, the way some of us don't remember our dreams at all, and some of us remember sort of remember our dreams. I mean, I've met people who say they don't dream, but I know physiologically that's not possible. Yeah, so, so there, are, there are a few factors. Certainly, all of us, we seem to disconnect from the body, 
you know, and we sleep basically maybe a couple of inches above the physical body. That, that certainly seems to happen to all of us. Now, sometimes from time to time, and it's very hard here to say numbers, you know, people uh, recover their awareness while they are disconnected and then they actually have an out-of-body experience. And then a fraction of those tend to remember that conscious experience. So now I want to get into some of the evidence. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had a very veridical, veridical meaning, so audience knows, verified experience while having an OBE? Yeah, exactly. That I was able to confirm it with something physical, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, yes. I've had a, I've had a few. Even one of the first ones, I think I was maybe like 19 or so. I remember I was, uh, you know, when you're 19, you, you get whatever job they offer to you. <laughs> it was a very physical job of moving boxes and unloading containers, but I was happy, you know, <laughs> doing that job. And, uh, and I remember I, we finished early and I came home and I w just simply took a nap in the sofa there in my living room. And because it was maybe like around four or so, and my mother, I knew was going to be back until like six, which was the time at, uh, at which she finished her work. But I fell asleep. And then maybe like uh, 20 minutes later, I was outside my body and I was looking at the living room. And then when I looked in the direction of the dining room, there was my mother sitting there writing, you know, and I thought, wow, maybe I have slept a long time because uh, she's usually just back until like six, six thirty or so. So when I came back into my body and I woke up, it was actually about four thirty, four thirty-five, and she had just simply come back earlier. And she told me, I noticed that you were napping. I didn't want it to make a lot of noise. So I just sat here, you know, and started going through the mail and, and doing stuff. So that was something that I obviously, in that type of an experience, the information got to me first through the out-of-party experience. And then I was able to verify it physically. So that would be, you know, one of them. You've had a few. You want to share another one? Sure, sure. For for example, even something that might be interesting for, you know, the listeners, uh, because they might have had some of these experiences, is when uh, you have an out-of-body experience and somebody else has an out-of-body experience and then you meet outside the body. Sometimes if the recollection and if the level of the awareness is not the best, that might seem fuzzy for both of them. It might seem almost as if they, maybe both of them dreamt it. But then you start thinking, wait a second, could it be that actually two people dreamt more or less the same experience? Could be, but it's, it's unlikely. But what's interesting is precisely when you are aware outside the body, conscious, and the other person as well, and then you come back and you remember. One of my earliest, you know, uh, joint experiences is, is what they're called, you know, experience with somebody else was with my oldest sister. We, I, we had started giving classes in Atlanta, Georgia at that time. And here I'm talking, oh boy, <laughs> again, it's going to get embarrassing. I think 98, 97, I, know, I don't remember when. And uh, <laughs> time flies. And, and uh, I was staying in her house because she lived north of, um, north of Atlanta. And then in the middle of the night, I remember I had an OBE. And since she was also taking the classes and interested, 
I, you know what, she had this a big house, like this uh, old Southern mansions, you know, with two stories and a basement and big. So I had to make my way through the house to, to her bedroom. But really, even before I went into her bedroom, she was already sort of like relatively awake, maybe because the, the expectation, the, you know, the, yeah, her thinking, okay, maybe something is going to happen because Louis is here. And then I remember I told her, look, do you want to, do you want to go? You want to see how it's done? Because you're, you're already out basically. And I took her by the hand and we, you know, went through the sort of like the wall roof, the corner there, we just simply went through it and we went flying. And after a little bit, I remember she became a little, a little surprised, a little emotional, maybe a little excited. This is the best term because she was like, oh, this is working. <laughs> and she lost her awareness and she came back to the body. But uh, the following morning, the first thing she told me in the morning where we saw each other that uh, we had to have breakfast early because my flight back was leaving very early from uh, Atlanta was, do you remember we were outside the body and we were doing this and we were flying and I was telling her, yes, you see, <laughs> you know, I do remember. So, you know, that's, you know, the type of experience, obviously, that then you can confirm with somebody else and, and both people remember fairly well. Have you ever heard of a group of people doing an OBE together? I have heard of it. And actually, even sometimes, hmm, let me think. I think if I remember correctly, one time in one of our classes be before the pandemic, we used to give more in-person classes. And we had these sessions of, you know, uh, in, a, in a room. Well, basically, the one you took, you, you remember in a room, 10 people lying down, right, and trying, you know, to have an out-of-body experience. And I remember in one of those that there was one person who was outside the body, the other one was coming out, and the other one was returning at the same time, which, by the way, is already unusual. Normally, th this collection of you know, people outside the body doesn't, doesn't happen as much simply because they are trying to have out-of-body experiences for the first time. So normally, our, our performance, the first few times that we're trying to have OBEs is not the best. But I remember once the exercise ended, you know, and I started asking them, okay, so how did it go? They were, you know, completely excited to lap in arms. Yes, I saw you and you were coming back and you were half aware and you were doing this and you were standing by the door. Uh, <laughs> it was quite, quite noisy that time. <laughs> and it was the same for all three of them. They all agreed and had the same experience. They, they were able to see each other at a specific moment. It wasn't an experience that lasted a lot. Uh, I mean, a long time, you know, but, uh, but yes, there were a few brief seconds in which the three of them were able to see each other and, and, and afterwards, you know, confirm that one was doing this and the other one was doing the other, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I wish I was in that class that time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I, you know, I think I remember telling them, look, I wish instead of me being here, the monitor, the instructor, I wish I would have lied down with them and also had been there, you know, to, to join them, I guess. <laughs> right. Okay. So then when you're out of body, supposedly you're in locations, getting sensory input from your eyes, your nose. Years, all the ways you get sensory input as a human. 
does it feel different than when you're physi- physically walking into a room? It, it, when you are outside the body, right? Yes. Let's say you go into a room out of body versus a room in body. Well, how does it physically feel different? Yeah, it, it, it is. It's, it's, it's certainly different. You know, first of all, I guess at the beginning, you probably don't realize that you don't walk into a room in the sense of like moving your legs one in front of the other. Actually, maybe you do do it. You know, something that happens is that outside the body, the astral body, and many listeners probably have already heard this, it goes through physical things, through walls, through objects, etc. So really no no wall stops you. You, you know, go through it sometimes as, as, if, as if there is no wall. And due to the same reason, your feet also don't make any contact with the ground. So you don't walk because there's friction or traction, you know, like we do here in the in the physical reality, but we're always sort of like levitating like at ground level. But something interesting to, to, to mention is that maybe at the beginning, when you're starting to have out-of-body experiences, you see that many people as they are coming at you, for example, if you see somebody else having an out-of-body experience, even though they're coming at you floating, they are coming at you moving their legs because it's the conditioning, it's the habit from the physical body, right? Because we are so used to, you know, just simply moving our legs. So that might be a little funny <laughs> the first couple of times. Nothing wrong, you know, just simply the conditioning. And then in terms of the perceptions, you know, at the beginning also, it may look very much, again, because of the conditionings, as if it is our physical senses. So it might look, it might seem as if it's our vision and our hearing and our touch. But little by little, we start to realize that this other body actually is perceiving much more than just simply, you know, our our five senses or just simply in the ranges of our five senses. What I mean by that is, for example, you know, something that many times I, I explain and, and, and that it's an interesting experience to have is that our, our physical eyes, they see a certain range of, of colors here in the physical reality. And when you leave the body, you see those colors. But after a while, you start to realize that you are able to perceive outside the body more colors than the ones you see here in the physical reality. And you start to realize, I don't know this color. <laughs> you know, There's a different tone, a different tonality. And really, the, the hard thing of this is, you know, you first of all, you recognize it. You come back to the body, and it's almost as if it is a little bit harder for you to remember that aspect the first time, because it's almost as if your brain doesn't have the, the synapse, the slot, where you're going to classify it of sorts. So sometimes the first time you don't even realize, or you just simply don't remember that it was a different color inside the body. You go out a second time, you see it again, the color, and you realize outside the body, it is a different color. And now I realize that yesterday I wasn't able to remember inside the body. So today I'm going to make a point, you know, (laughs) to go back and remember inside the body. Sometimes the second time it doesn't work, but after three or four, it's almost as if the brain, being an organic system instead of a computer, right, it sort of like uh, develops a new synapse or reorganizes itself a little bit, and then we're able to visualize this new color inside the body. We're able to see it like in our mind's eye and remember it and digest it physically. The hard thing then becomes, how do you explain it to somebody else, right? How, what, what name do you give to it? <laughs> But yeah, you realize that there is that process, you know, uh, that's happening. 
Have you seen colors that are not on our color spectrum? Yes, yes. And, and it's interesting because, you know, here inside the body, I, I wouldn't say I am colorblind, but some of the colors sort of like get confused to me. So sometimes, you know, my growing up, my sisters were the ones that would buy my shirts for me and now my wife basically dresses me. But <laughs> but uh, when I am outside the body, I realize that my vision is much sharper and that there is a, a range of things that is much greater than the one that I'm able to, to see here in the physical reality. So I have to ask then, since you said you're semi-colorblind, do you think maybe you're seeing colors that the rest of us just see here? Um, I think I, I wish that was the case, <laughs> but I think it's the opposite. It seems that here I see a lower range of colors than what, <laughs> than what more people see. Uh, because sometimes for... Yeah, no, that's what I mean. Do you think you're seeing the higher range when you're out of body that those of us that are not colorblind see here? It, it, well, it could be, it could be, but there, it, there is just simply a greater variety of them. But even then, it, it could be that it's just, even, even if, if it was just the normal amount of colors that people that don't have, you know, colorblindness see, you already are able to see that there is a difference between the vision in my, my astral vision, right, and my own physical vision with some limitations. And from what I understand, are there other people who do not define themselves at all as colorblind also back up that they've seen colors they don't see here? Correct. Correct. I, I even remember reading about this afterwards. Um, there were a couple of books, but I think that the first one I remember reading was this uh, author from the 30s or 40s, uh, Sil Sylvan Muldoon. Muldoon, yes. I, if I remember correctly, he also mentions the same thing in his book. I hope I get to see a color that no one knows here. That just would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, again, and the problem is trying to explain it, trying to, you know, you end up making up words, you know, for, for those things. <laughs> yeah, it seems just inexplicable. Is there a worry that you can get stuck out of body? Yeah, good question. Thank you for asking me that because that's usually one of the first questions that people ask me. Yeah, no, there is no worry. You you won't get stuck. You, I know that there are many things that are said of the supposed dangers of leaving the body. Even I think that in my book, in the chapter one, I address several of those things. But for everything that we have seen, everything that uh, all the people that I have spoken to, students, other authors, etc., that just doesn't happen. And sometimes, of course, that worry is also compounded by the Hollywood movies that are made in, in Los Angeles, you know, that, that tell you that uh, there are usually horror movies, horror movies using the topic of the out-of-body experience for it. So, but yeah, no, you, you, you won't get stuck. And there's no worry you're not going to encounter, say, a dangerous creature that could hurt you out of body or dangerous energies. I've heard people worry about that. Yeah. They, you. You, uh, you could find a dangerous creature in dangerous energies outside the body. But the first thing to understand here is it's much more likely for us to find a dangerous creature and dangerous energies or have a dangerous experience inside the body than outside the body. I would say almost like a, the ratio is maybe like 100 to 1. It's really very unlikely outside the body. So that's, that's the first thing. 
The second thing also is that it's important to define what dangerous means, because usually people are thinking in the sense of something that can, you know, kill me or hurt me or make me bleed. And then these types of things won't happen outside the body. Nothing, nothing really can kill you or make you bleed. The astral body is not really an organic body, so you don't really have blood or organs or any any of these uh, physical features. But what it can do is, if we happen to be on that one, <laughs> one out of a hundred, which again is very probably even more than that. But if it happens to be, in, if we happen to be in that situation, what it can do is really scare us quite a bit. This is probably one of the one of the biggest things. That, uh, or one of the main things that could happen, that it really, really scares us. But if we know especially how to work with energies, which, you know, I think even at Mosaic, we have some free videos that you can go log on and, you know, learn how to do this. You can defend yourself. You can, and if even if you become scared, whether outside the body or inside the body because of anything, you can do these exercises and just simply reestablish yourself again to be stable, fine, clear, lucid, you know, and relaxed. So that that as well is is important. And they can't do more than scare you. They can't like actually hurt you or stick around you the rest of your life, making you sick or do crazy things. No, it, it could be. But this is very very unusual. And you know, but these sometimes, and, and this happens not because you're having out-of-party experience, it's just that this can happen because of other reasons. But you know, when there are cases like of uh, possessions and these types of issues, it, sometimes there is some type of entity outside the body that is taking advantage of somebody inside the body, but this doesn't, it's not promoted by the out-of-party experience. It's just, it doesn't happen because of the out-of-party experience. On the contrary, the out-of-body experience can help you to understand it better so as to detach completely. This is already happening because, or, or this can happen inside the body, even if the person doesn't go outside the body. And there you can see how it's rare. We don't hear of, you know, possessions in every household or things like this. This is really very rare. But this is happening because of some thought, some line of thinking of the physical person that connects them to them and besides that, both the non-physical entity and the physical entity already have some shared past that wasn't healthy and something probably pretty bad happened in their history. And that's why they're, they're still at it. You know, sometimes these types of issues look like, you know, the, you know when, when there is a couple that they're both abusing each other and they separate, but they cannot live apart. So they keep on abusing each other. And then, you know, after 60, 70 years, they're even more connected than before. And then sometimes after 60, 70 lives, that can be pretty bad. So it's not sponsored by the out-of-body experience. That'll happen even if we're in the physical reality. But yes, if you happen to be in that situation, let me finish on a good note. Feel free to send us an email. Let us know about your case. We'll do whatever we can, you know, to help with that. No doubt. I, I, I receive a lot of those emails, so you won't be the first. Okay. Now, one thing I've heard is that time is kind of distorted in out-of-bodies where people will go to locations 
describe them and they'll be told they're wrong. And it turns out they verify that's how the place looked in the past, or they'll describe it and also find themselves wrong and then end up like 10 years down the line, they build a structure that they saw during their out-of-body experiences. Do you know any specific stories like that? Or have you experienced any? Yes, yes. You know, it it, it seems that sometimes when you're outside the body for some reason or another, maybe because of the interests of the person, it's almost as if they focus a little bit more on how the, on the energy field of, you know, the past, of, for example, how a place looked, you know, 10 years ago, or sometimes even 100 years ago in, the, in, in, in that case. And sometimes people focus a little bit on the future, which, by the way, is not that uncommon. You know, I, I would say one of the most common paranormal phenomena, even without leaving the body, but already here from, from inside the body, is the premonitory dreams. Uh, and, and it seems to be just simply because people are go to bed thinking about the future in the sense of, uh, you know, the, the goal I want to reach, you know, when I get this promotion, how is it going to be? When eventually we get married, how is it going to be? So people many times have their thoughts and their focus into the future. And that seems to connect them with like an energy field with a vibe, you know, of potentially of the future that they end up having, you know, uh, this perspective of a, of a, of a future. Have you had an experience where you went out of body and saw the past and or one where you saw the future? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I remember uh, more about the future ones. Uh, I have a few of the past as well. And, the, and these are, you know, more related to the recollections of past lives. Right. So I remember a few of them of the recollection of past lives of mine. And maybe even certain events, you know, that uh, helped me to understand, you know, some of the things that are happening to me currently. But of the future, yes. And just like you described it, I remember in this uh, ballroom where we used to give classes, having an out-of-body experience once in that ballroom. And it seemed like it was a completely different, you know, environment. There were all of these cubicles and this activity. And it seemed almost like... Like, you know, when you go into a ballroom and they are using the ballroom for like a fair and there are all of these kiosks and booths. And, and so it looked a little bit more like that. But I remember at that time I even went and I asked the, the, the people of the meeting rooms, you know, if they have ever used it for that. And they told me no. But many years later, they had converted the place not into like a fair, you know, like a these types of fairs, but they had converted the place into this, um, like, uh, like we work and like this, um, uh, you know, new models of businesses where everybody has their own desk and sort of like a very modern cubicle. So not just simply the gray walls and dividers that, you know, <laughs> we used to use way back when, but it, uh, something very modern, you know, uh, that looked a little bit more like a fair, but really it was a place of work where people could rent, you know, their, their desk and have their, you know, internet and everything. And, and when I saw that, I remember thinking, this is what I had seen. Yes, this was it. I mean, this is getting a little speculative, but what does that make you think about free will and how much the future is written in stone versus our behavior or choices? Yeah, yeah. No, good question. Yeah. That, that, that always comes up, uh, you know, when we start talking about uh, premonitions and things. And even, 
when people just simply have them. Because, you know, again, premonitory dreams, people tend to have them, you know, that they that they saw, you know, uh, something occurring, something happening, especially with big world events. How many people afterwards realize, wait a second, I had dreamt with that uh, disaster, for example, or things like that. Now, we are tapping into, to a certain extent, the way I understand that the way, you know, talking to my colleagues or their authors and everything, the way uh, I, or the informal consensus that uh, we have arrived at is that we are tapping into a potential future into something that might happen, and many times it does. But certainly, I can tell you of a few others that, I, that I've had that I thought, look, this one feels exactly like that other premonition that I had uh, at some other point. And then I realized, you know, years later, no, that never came about. That never happened. Even, even one that was related to, let me, let me put a disclaimer here, many times when people have premonitions, Unfortunately, they tend to be about negative events because usually those negative events produce more emotion, more energy, and then it becomes a little bit easier to tap into it. Unfortunately, you know, I wish people were seeing, you know, peace in the world <laughs> starting in 2024 <laughs> and things like that. So uh, that, that specific one that I had was about somebody being in a very difficult accident while they were in this specific job. And this was maybe like 10 years ago. And then that person, I think that in 2015 or 2016, I, you know, tried to always tell them, look, be careful, be really careful. <laughs> and that person, you know, in 2015 or 2016, stopped working on that job. And now during the pandemic, the person retired completely. So no, not that an accident couldn't happen to that person, but my premonition, the way I had seen it, it's just simply not, uh, it's not the case. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be at that job in that, in that warehouse that I, that I actually saw. So maybe this person saved themselves. You hear of people having a premonition, don't get in the car, and then the other people driving in the car have an accident. It could have, you know, I mean, there's no way to verify. Right. And, and, and there you see, you know, the uh, free will in action, right? So, so the, with all of these premonitory, you know, activities, certainly they seem to be probabilistical. There is a certain probability that they will happen more or less like, you know, the weather and rain, there is a 30% chance that it will rain, but sometimes it doesn't. What is the difference between an NDE, near-death experience, and an OBE? The, the main difference is how it is how it starts, I would say. Obviously, with a, with a near-death experience, you know, some critical physical accident or trauma, you know, forces the person outside the body, right? So we know a heart attack, a car accident, you know, in the middle of a surgery. Sometimes there are people who are very sensitive. I remember this uh, student in Mexico City that she used to tell me that just with, um, with local anesthesia, when she used to go to her dentist, that for some reason would produce this effect that she would be outside her body and she could see herself even with her eyes open and just simply like behind the dentist, you know, as the dentist was doing whatever it was that it was doing in, in, in her mouth. So, um, of course, in this case, it would be a near-death experience because she wasn't close to dying. But yes, it's something that forces the, the experience. 
And then, uh, as we know, in many cases of near-death experience, there is the OBE component. So they certainly describe, you know, that they see themselves going through the tunnel and um, arriving at another dimension or reality, seeing there, you know, a relative of theirs or a few relatives of theirs that had already passed away, also seeing the this being of the spirit guide or the illuminated being, you know, the angel that is sort of like guiding them through the experience and normally tells them things related to their life purpose or life task and, you know, tells them, go back, you know, you got, you, you have a few things to to go and finish to a certain extent, and then they return. And in the out-of-body experience, we can basically have, you know, uh, all of these, you know, experiences as well. We certainly meet relatives that have already passed away. We certainly can meet our spirit guide, uh, illuminated being, master, etc. We can get information about what is our life task. I think that one of the differences as well is that in the near-death experience, because the person is not going to be producing it, often, you know, a second, a third, a fifth time, or at least we hope not. And, and certainly, you know, in, in, in the practice that it, it just doesn't happen that often, or it doesn't happen too often with the same person, then it's almost as if the moment that the person disconnects, it seems to me that the, their spirit guide takes advantage of that opportunity already to show them several things, to get to the to the point, to the objective, as fast as possible. You know, the person is out. We don't know if they're going to be in another accident in the rest of their life. Let's hope not. So at this moment, let's take advantage of it. So let's show them this and this and that. And in the out-of-party experience, we have this, we can have the same experiences, but we go a little bit more bite by bite. So we, you know, we first we digest how to switch dimensions, then we come back. Then we get used to finding other people outside the body. Then we come back. Then we find our spirit guide. Then we come back. Then we start questioning, you know, what is my purpose? What is my identity really? If I can exist independent of my physical body. And then we come back and we keep on going gradually, little by little, uh, so to speak. Inspired by David Justice, who died after a nearly two-year battle with glioblastoma, JET, Joyful Experience Team, was founded by his son, Oliver Justus, and his best friends, River Attard, Leo Gerstein, Jack Gorenstein, and Felix Ward. JET seeks to create joyful experiences for families struggling with brain cancer, a chance to enhance their lives with experiences that are rich in love and will be treasured for all time. We believe, like David did, that life should not be measured in time, but in joyful moments. JET will allow families coping with this painful diagnosis to go to special events and be treated like VIPs. Go to makingheadway.org forward slash JET for a complete list of programs and activities. Hey everyone! I'm really excited to let you know about the science and spirituality salons I'm now hosting. During these intimate events, a scientifically verified psychic medium will give all of you readings, and I will give a talk on the science and evidence that changed my mind about an afterlife. 
So also be an amazing opportunity to get to meet some of you in person or virtually and to share more about all the science and data that transformed my worldview and got me through my worst days. These can be hosted in your home, in a nearby cafe with a private room, or they can even be virtual. I've hosted a few already, and they were really special, fascinating, emotional, evidential. So if you're interested in getting a small group together over dinner, brunch, drinks, coffee, to learn more about the science and to get evidential medium readings, send me an email at hello at wtfjusthappened.net and put science and spirituality in the title. You can have an out-of-body experience where you visit your deceased loved ones and as intense as a near-death experience, it's just not going to happen the first few years of having an out-of-body experience, most likely. Yeah, or I, I wouldn't say necessarily years because it varies. It varies. Certainly it varies. I have seen people who who certainly some of their first experiences were prompted because deceased relatives were, were around and wanted to communicate something, right? But yes, generally speaking, you probably won't have all of the elements, you know, in, in the first experience or in the second one. But it starts to go little by little and more gradually. And, and, but for sure, you can get to see a lot of them, of course. Then what is your weirdest, most interdimensional out of body. You gave your most grounded, veridical. Now what's the, I guess, weirdest other, I was in a totally different dimension. Yeah, that, that has happened uh, a few times of being in dimensions that have, um, I'm going to say, no reference, no correlation, you know, with the physical reality. That has happened several times. Dimensions where, for example, you know, uh, it's, it's because here in the physical reality, we're very used to, we have gravity, we have ground, we have this concept of up and down. So even here on the interviews virtually, our heads are facing up and our feet are facing down, even because of gravity and because of how the physical body arranges itself and walks and how we sit, etc. But there are dimensions, for example, in which you arrive and it seems, I'm not going to say that you're floating in a cloud but you are floating and there is no ground. And then because there is no ground and no gravity, there also, there isn't this concept of up and down. So if you think that you are, you know, rightly aligned, you know, with your head here and your feet here, somebody else all of a sudden comes to talk to you and they are sort of like perpendicular to you, the, their body. So you are like this and they are talking to you like this. And somebody else comes to talk to you at another angle and the heads are relatively close, but the feet are dangling all over and there is really no up and down. Nobody's incorrect and nobody's correct for that, for that matter. And if you ask them who have been in that reality or have been uh, existing in that reality for some time, meaning like the natives of that reality, they will tell you, yeah, it is reality, we no longer have the conditioning of ground. We don't have the, the concept of ground and of up and down. But they, they also are many times very aware and very conscious. And they say, but look, we still have the conditioning, for example, of our physical body and how we looked in our last life. So even though we passed away and we, are, we understand we are more than the physical body, I still look like my last life 
in the best years of my life, in what I think are the best years of my life, which is very common for, for individuals who are more aware outside the body. So they're humans. They were humans. They've passed away. They're not humans here having an out of body. They've moved to that dimension. Right. Or at least the ones, this one specifically that I am mentioning, that are the ones that I found that time. Because nothing, nothing stops another project or another person from leaving their body and being there at the same time that I was. It's just simply that, that uh, on that specific opportunity and this uh, experience that I am mentioning, yes, those individuals had been humans, had passed away, and now they had been in that reality, you know, for a few years. So it seems then when you pass away, you know, there's all the evidence from Jim Tucker, for example, that we live multiple lives, but there's all different dimensions that we can experience as well as Earth. Because, you know, it seems like there's a myth or whatever the word is, a misunderstanding, misconception that it's here in the afterlife, like physical life here, then one other dimension you go to physical life back here, you know, pulsating in and out of just here in another dimension. But it sounds like there are multiple types of dimensions and experiences that we can experience consciousness. Yes, that would be my observation. And I would say the, the, the observation of at least, uh, you know, other authors that I have spoken to in terms of out-of-body experiences, uh, that there are several planes of reality or dimensions or, you know, uh, different ones indeed. And when you pass away, you go to one of them, but the experiences in between lives can vary quite a bit indeed. And, and, you know, with this, there isn't really a lot of consensus. Some people, sometimes they try to group the, what me and several other people will call the myriad, the millions of planes, they group them into two or they group them just into three or into seven. And obviously how maybe every person tries to make sense of it and organize it in a specific way. But it seems that they are hundreds, thousands you know, uh, difficult, difficult even to, to give a number to how many. That doesn't shock me in the same sense that I am about as convinced as you can be that there's life, material life on other material planets in this dimension. There's other Goldilocks planets and other solar systems. Right. You even take two people and you send them to another country or even just another town or city and they will describe two totally different experiences. And then you put it different times of years. One will say it was freezing. Another will say it was hot and sunny. There's already an inherent inconsistencies in just the most basic facts. If I can add to that, I would say that's the richness of the human experience, you, you know, because you can have two twins in their city <laughs> being raised by the same parents, right? And they already end up, you know, with different experiences, perceiving things differently, with different careers, with different objectives. So yes, that's the richness of the human experience. Sometimes, I guess, when people try to discredit some of this research, they will say, well, two people said two different things. And there are differences, but I've also noticed consistencies as well. Yes, yes. And, and with regards to that, sometimes I, I give the example that is like when two people or many people, actually, we see examples of this all the time, they go to watch the same movie. And in essence, we could say the movie that they see is the same, it's objectively the same. But when you read the reviews in Rotten, is it Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb, I don't remember which one. When you read the reviews, everybody has a slightly different take. And sure, there are some 
there is a, a certain average, but sometimes you realize that, you know, at the edges, it almost seems like people saw com two completely different movies. You take two people, go to a party, and you ask each of them what to describe the party or the evening. There'll be a few things the same and many things different, and the emotional state's different, and the people they talk to, and the people they liked, and the people they didn't. And that's a very good point, Liz, that you're making, because, you know, in a movie, it's the same, how could I say, the same images are being projected and it's very static. But in, a, in human life, like a party, as the example that you're giving, everything is very dynamic, extremely dynamic, you know? So uh, even if two people talk to the same person, maybe at the beginning of the night, the person was feeling very happy and, you know, very well rested. By the end of the night, they already had two beers and already argued with their girlfriend and now they don't want to talk to anybody <laughs> but it's the same person yeah that's so true and one would be like that was such a friendly sweet person the other could be like oh i met the biggest jerk yeah again the richness of human life <laughs> have you ever encountered other material beings that you would conclude most likely are from other planets while out of body yeah another another beings that just like i was mentioning humans who lived here and then they passed away and they are in their in-between lives, so to speak. Those are the types of ETs that I have encountered, meaning people who were, or people or souls, spirits, I don't even know what name to give to the essence, but souls that were having a physical body and a life in another planet, and then they passed away. And now you find them outside the body, you know, in, a, in another dimension. And then they're their appearance is different. Their behaviors are different. It's, it's uh, yes, yes. That, that certainly I have, <laughs> I have encountered and I have seen them. And they are completely different species than what we see on this planet. They're not humans or dogs or horses or. Yes, absolutely. Completely different species. Nothing, no, nothing related to, to what happens here in this, in this planet at all, which, which by the way, I would imagine that it's not, it's not surprising at all. Right. Even. We, we, we see even how the species vary just simply from Australia to the rest of the world, right? Yeah, I don't find it that surprising either. I tend to think evolution is the most logical conclusion we have so far about how our bodies have come to what they are today. And I would think probably for survival of species, bodies in other planets and other species would evolve to match the habitat. Yes, to conclude uh, or to answer that question. Yes, you, you do see them. You do see their, how could I say, like their drive for betterment that they have that is very similar to ours, meaning their drive for personal improvement, for personal development. So they're also concerned with uh, at least a few of them that I, that I remember interacting with. They were also concerned with how well they were able to digest the idea of physically dying in their context and in their conditioning and how they thought that that was also going to be the end and how they needed like to digest it, you know, and interpret it in some, in some fashion and, and how also they, their drive for trying to become better souls, so to speak, if I can put it in this fashion. So it's interesting because sometimes in between lives, when you are no longer in this physical life, and you are a little bit more aware, individuals don't identify so much anymore with the planet that they were born. 
like saying, you know, I was an earth, uh, you know, an earthling or, you know, a, a Martian, not that I, they were from Mars, but <laughs> the only other name I can think of. So they, they just simply don't identify with our planet or with the physical labels. They're, they're more understanding themselves as, as the being that they are, as the soul that they are. All of them had passed away. You never encountered someone who was out of body, who was a species that lived on another planet, who was still living and going out of body exactly the way you are. I didn't. I never encountered somebody like that. But what I remember that on one of my interactions, one of these individuals told me is they told me that also out of body experiences for them was sort of like a learning that they had to, to go through. And I remember even that uh, that individual saying, look, you're also here. Notice that when we have an out-of-body experience, we tend to stay sort of like in the neighborhood, in our neighborhood, so to speak. So you see some of those individuals coming and visiting, but they were explaining, if you go to our neighborhood, then you're going to see more people, more projectors, more of them having out-of-body experiences outside the body besides you know, where, where, you know, they happen to be sort of like they, they tend to hang around their own planet a little bit more in close to their neighborhood, if I can use the word neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, there's probably no other better word and probably just the way we do when we have out-of-body experiences. Exactly. Yeah, we, we tend to stay close to our references, to what we know, and even involuntarily, just simply because we affinitize with things that we know. So people pass away and their first instinct many times, not even a conscious choice, but the first instinct is, how are my relatives? And then they just simply stay close, close to the people that they know. You mentioned that you'd had an out-of-body experience where you visited a past life a few times. If it's not personal, would you mind sharing one of those experiences? Yes, there, there were a couple of recollections of past lives that I remember. One of them was in the middle of an out-of-body experience, a spirit guide helped me to remember in uh, this experience, which happened maybe about six, seven hundred years ago is my best guess. Uh, difficult to, to put your finger completely on it. I was sort of like in the north of Africa or somewhere around there. I remember seeing these deserts and constructions that looked a little bit like the north of Africa. And I lived in a little town and I was a little boy. I was probably like nine or so. And they had a um, sort of like a, a, a feast or a, a town fair or something that they were going to have. And I, by mistake, you know, happened to, and this was at night, and I, by mistake, happened to like drop one of the torches at the entrance and this produced a big fire and several people, you know, got burned and probably passed away. I don't know because I remember me as a little kid when I saw what I, what I had caused, I just simply turned around and started running, uh, just afraid, scared of whatever they were going to do to me. I remember I ran into the desert and I even remember many, many days later, people looking at me like a caravan of people looking for me like, hey, where are you? Are you around? And I remember I said, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to show up. I'm not going to tell them where I was because I in my mind, I was afraid of the repercussions of that, which, by the way, maybe it wasn't justified. Maybe it was. Believe me, I have gone over this many, many times. And now I think about it. Maybe they were just looking, you know, for me because they 
couldn't find my body. They couldn't find anything. Where is Lewis, right? Maybe they didn't even know. I don't know. But in any case, one of the main conclusions of that, the energy, the lesson for me in, in that past life, and again, Egypt, maybe Egypt, uh, Lebanon, I don't know, one, one, one of those countries, was that even though I hadn't done that intentionally, because those indiv some individuals had suffered and maybe some people had passed away, now in this life, some of those individuals were close to me for me to try to like uh, help them, like to try to set things right so that the energy between us wasn't just, you know, he did this to us, but it was now he did this to us before, but now in this life he tried to help us. And now that sort of like balances, you know, the, the relationship. So that was eye-opening, to say the least. <laughs> Is an out-of-body visiting a past life different from a past life regression? Uh, I have never had a past life regression here in the physical reality, but for everything that I have studied and seen and, you know, talked about with other individuals, I, I think that the, it, it, they can be the same, but I think that outside the body, because you are not, you don't have the, your physical memories and sort of like the obstacles of the physical body. So you are a little bit freer to, to be more psychic, to explore a little bit more the memory. I think you can go a little bit deeper. So generally speaking, I would say the past life regressions outside the body can be a little bit deeper than the ones inside the body. But of course, you know, this is just generally speaking, because sometimes here, even inside the body, there can be some that can be, you know, quite deep and quite detailed, I would say. But generally speaking, I'm partial towards the regressions outside the body. I'm going to bring it back a little down to data and veridical and... All right. Are there any scientific studies you know of, have participated in, that try to verify out-of-body experiences? You know, I have participated in a few experiments, but I couldn't even tell you what were the results because this was done in, a, in such a double-blind, anonymous fashion. So I was the subject of the experiences. And even some of them, you probably or several of the listeners might have heard the the theory that, you know, sometimes there is a scientific study. And then if you read about it five, 10 years later, the expectation that you have as you start to read the scientific study already affects the scientific study that happened 10 years ago. So the non-locality aspect of our intention. So because of that, <laughs> the researcher told me, look, participate here. You're, you're more than welcome, but just know that I'll never tell you the results <laughs> so that you, you cannot affect it. And because we are testing that, this, of course. So, so I wouldn't even, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to tell you not even how was my performance, what was the average, etc. Even because many times, you know, the performance of one person is less relevant than the, than the overall result of the of the exercise. Right. Because I've also heard if they tell you the results or let's say you're going out there to view an area, however they would do it. And then they say, yes, you're accurate. They can't prove you weren't psychically knowing that result and then seeing it. Exactly. All this sort of weird type of controls that have to be added to these types of experiments. 
Indeed, indeed, it becomes a lot more challenging. In a sense, the, 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 the double blind just simply becomes a lot more challenging. You have to incorporate a lot of other factors, you know, into it. So now we're going to get into the more out there again. Have you ever had one that, or is there one you feel that transformed you the most emotionally or even intellectually? What, what would you say has your most, been your most transformative experience? Yeah, I think I think there have been a few. Certainly, this one that I was mentioning, even of uh, that with the past life recollection, it, it certainly helped me to understand quite a bit and helped me to change quite a bit and to understand even certain relationships that were close to me. I remember also having one, you know, maybe in the mid '90s. You know, when sometimes we are fairly young, and one of the big aspects of your life, I guess, or one of the big things that you're hoping to get is your sort of like, uh, who's going to be my partner in crime? Who's going to be like the person that I'm going to end up with? I want to dream with that person. I want to understand who that person is going to be. And I remember having an experience where uh, I was in this reality, in this dimension, and there was this girl just sitting there on the bench. And then I remember it caught my attention. This was outside the body, by the way. That person caught my attention. And as I was flying back, I remember thinking, who was that person? And the answer of my spirit guide is, she will be the one. But you'll still have to wait a few years. You still have a lot of other experiences to, to go through. And when I saw, you know, my, <laughs> my wife now, uh, Decades later, really almost 20 decades later, I remember thinking, wait a second, this is the girl that was sitting in the bench in that experience, you know, 20 years ago. It just clicked on me immediately. So that also was another one that, that I thought, you know, made a very big impact on me. And that, you know, for many years, I remember that I was thinking, because I knew that I had seen it, but I remember thinking, should I trust that? Should I not? Uh, expected? Should I expect it? Is it around the corner? Is it now? No. When? So it can uh, really drive you a little bit crazy. But so eventually I remember I thought, okay, let me just live my life. And if it happens, great. And if it happens to be somebody else, great. You know, and, uh, but no, it ended up being exactly her. <laughs> And had she ever had an out-of-body experience that paralleled and been like, wow, that was you? Not that I know of. No, no, no not the degree. Not that I know of. Not that she has uh, confessed to me. <laughs> Do you know of any stories like that where two people met during an out-of-body experience and ended up meeting each other years later and verified it? You know, I think that one of the best cases of this, if I'm not remember, and it's something that you can you know, that any listener can go and grab and check on the book is on uh, Robert Monroe's, if I think his second book. So the first one was Journeys Out of the Body. I think it's Far Journeys. And I think he describes there precisely this, a, a, a couple meeting outside the body and they didn't know each other. And I think that uh, they were able to exchange their name. I am this, I am that. And then you know, uh, a few days later or later on in some um, event, they met each other and they recognized and then, you know, they started seeing each other more often. 
I remember that was was a, a, a very interesting account, you know. And again, if I, if I'm not mistaken, the name of the book is Far Journeys from Robert Monroe. Ooh, I'll have to read that book. I've read his first one, Journeys Out of the Body. I've not read the second one. <laughs> and, I, and I think the first one, generally speaking, for out of body experience, has a little more content, I would say. But there is there is that experience. If I I am quite sure it is on the second book. What is the difference between an out-of-body experience and remote viewing? Okay, yeah, yeah. You, you know, in essence, with remote viewing, you can also uh, have access, you know, obviously to a remote location and see it and, you know, uh, interact a little bit, even energetically and everything. The, the main difference is more that with remote viewing, you are sort of like displacing your vision. And uh, in the out-of-body experience, you with your entire astral body are there. So the level of interaction can be greater to a certain extent when you are in an, in an out-of-body experience, even richer to a certain extent. But even then, you know, you, you see how these things are very individual and they vary from person to person. Some people have more predisposition for remote viewing than for out-of-body experiences. Some have more predisposition towards clairvoyance or, you know, other of the clairs, so to speak, other of these uh, psychic abilities. Okay. I do not think you're going to be able to actually answer this, but if you could guess, <laughs> how does this all work? What mechanism? How can physics or science or how are we even able to do this? Because most of us walk around just experiencing our consciousness in a body and could be very logical to decide and, or conclude our consciousness is created by the neurons of a brain. So this goes against this theory. So how would this all work? No, I agree. I agree. It does. And of course, let's, uh, let's start by, by also mentioning that some scientists believe that consciousness is a product of the brain, but not all material scientists agree that because there are still several theories, right? But I, I agree. It, it, uh, from the physical reality, it seems, how am I going to say, difficult to wrap your mind around this concept of the out-of-body experience. And, and honestly, I, and you know, I'm a, I'm a chemist. I, that's, I graduated in science from the university and everything. And when I think only or try to think only from my physical, materialistic, uh, scientific perspective, I also wonder the same thing, you know, how... How can we, you know, make sense of this or how, wh what type of physical arguments can we build in order to be able to, with our current science, to be able to get there and, and, and understand it? I don't know really if we can with our current science, but, but uh, in certainly, you know, with the out-of-body experiences, what I, what I see is that Obviously, you see that this idea of the consciousness being created by the brain is something that doesn't it's just a theory, not, nothing wrong with it, but you, you realize that it's not the case. You know, you can be outside the body and you can, you can learn things that your physical body doesn't have access to. You can have conclusions and, you know, inspirations, ideas, new knowledge that just simply your physical body doesn't have. And you can bring it back, you know, to your physical body and now it'll have it. Even I've had these experiences where you remember an experience that you had had 20 years ago and you just simply hadn't remembered it. And now that you're using the astral body, which was the one that perceived it, and now you remember it, now you come back and now you can, you know, remember both. 
So it's, it's knowledge that you end up acquiring outside the body. Now, I don't know if we, because again, I have thought about this. I don't know if we are close to understanding it with our current physical scientific framework, or if really we need to go through at least another two, three, maybe more scientific revolutions so as to be able to understand that. Because it seems to me, naturally, as a, a science is trying to use all of the tools that it has, you know, to try to build a bridge between the accounts and everything that people are saying and where we are with our current science. It's just that when you have an out-of-body experience and you're standing on the other shore, you realize the river is not that small and that bridge. It seems to you like it's the Mississippi River and they're trying to create the, the bridge with popsicles. And then you realize mm, we're still going to need more resources to, to make it across. Uh, so it seems to me, you know, that, that we still need a few scientific revolutions. I'm, I'm you know, unfortunately, I'm, I, I don't take any pleasure in saying this. I wish actually we could confirm it uh, physically and then it would be much easier. Of course, everything would be much easier. But, but yeah, I, I think it's still a little bit uphill. And do you think after a scientific revolution or a couple of them, we will end up concluding that there's an afterlife, that we survive bodily death? I think so. I think so. And I think certainly, you know, even certain things about science of, you know, uh, eliminating uh, maybe that need to be re there's a rethinking that has to go on there. Like, for example, eliminating participative research, incorporating a little bit more subjectivity, developing techniques to incorporate subjectivity even better. All of those things need to be thought out you know, better, but I, but I do believe so that science, I don't see any reason why science eventually shouldn't be able to, to, to crack the code, so to speak. Even sometimes I know that there are other authors who speculate, for example, that certain things like uh, dark energy and uh, different types of astronomical effects that are observed are maybe part of what you see outside the body as the energy field and the vital energies that you yourself are able to process, you know, send out, absorb, uh, interact with, etc. E even, for example, the relationship between quantum mechanics and the non-physical reality, I, I see many people trying to make connections, and rightly so, I would say, but I think that uh, we still need a couple more scientific revolutions for them to really stick. Uh, unfortunately. <laughs> well, hopefully. I mean, at least there's huge body of evidence that grieving people can turn to now. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. There's a huge body of evidence I can see. And, and I am, you know, the first to, how could I say, praise all the efforts. You know, when you read certain books like, uh, you know, the books by, ah, now I forgot his name. My goodness. He's going to hate me for it. But, um, the main researcher of ions. Um, gonna hate me for it. <laughs> yeah. The scientist Lewis is talking about is Dean Braden. And he also mentioned ions, which is the Institute of Noetic Science. And Lewis remembered his name and sent it to me right after we 
got off the episode. So he definitely knows it. It's just one of those moments where, which happens to all of us, where we forget what we know on the spot. So they, they do a lot of very good research and, and he has published several books. So it's uh, all, all of those efforts certainly are very laudable, very correct, very proper. People who are starting to try to have OBEs, I know they can take classes with you. They can read books. How do people know they're on the right track? Are there early sensations or anything? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think that the sensations are the ones that are going to give you a little bit of feedback in terms of your of your progress. And I think also that part of you know what becomes hard is you know that the sensations on the one hand they are they, they motivate you, but at the same time they sort of like distract you. And if we don't know them, they can produce a little bit of like a like a fear type of a type of a reaction. But yes, you know when people are starting to control their energies and try techniques on, on leaving the body. Some of the most common sensations are the sensation, for example, of floating, or you start to feel like a boss, like, a, like your energy body buzzing around you, like a uh, You also might feel the sleep paralysis in the middle of your practice, like you cannot move your physical body at all. Tingling in different areas of the body as the physical body, or sorry, as the Yes, as the astral body is disconnecting from the physical body. So those types of sensations, you know, they, they let us know that we have started in the process. Now, obviously, we can feel them at other moments, like when we are falling asleep or waking up. But naturally, if every time that you try a technique, you start to feel a little bit that, those sensations, you realize that you are also able to induce them with your practices. And then... After that, it's really a matter of practice for, for most people. It's, it's just an issue of practice. It, it's not as easy in the sense that it's not, you know, I don't know, an app that we open and push a button, <laughs> you know. So it, it'll, take, it'll take a few weeks for sure. It'll take a, a few months uh, sometimes to have an OB. Some of us a few years, so like people like me who are more left brain science minded. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that could be. But, you know, also the other thing is sometimes it's a matter of finding the right technique. Because this that you're mentioning, Liz, is, is correct. Some people are much more left brain science minded and everything. Then sometimes we need to find a technique that goes more or that relies a little bit more on those qualities, on those features, so to speak. So maybe the ones that have to do with imagination, visualization, maybe those might not be, might not be as good for the left-minded individuals. <laughs> so, What are the benefits of the out-of-body experience? Yeah, so there are several benefits. People, you know, sometimes they do it, first of all, because they want to understand better the, the non-physical planes, but they also realize that by having out-of-body experience, they can get an understanding of what is their life task or what people like to call the life mission, which we see in near-death experience that many people who actually have a near-death experience get an understanding, right, of what is it that, that they wanted to accomplish. One of the biggest you know, benefits is losing the fear of death. Obviously, the moment that we realize that we can exist outside the physical body and then we can meet you know, deceased relatives and friends of ours, 
We also realize, you know, the soul or our essence continues, you know, after the physical reality. So this is a biggie, losing the fear of death. Many times other fears that we have throughout our life come from this basic fear, right? Another main reason is people want to have these experiences to have this contact, I guess, and, you know, to have a a more close relationship with their spirit guides, with the illuminated beings, masters, etc. And, and you can, in an out-of-body experience, have this conversation without, you know, the, the difference between dimensions blocking you, so to speak, but more like face-to-face, more or less the way we are, we are here, right? So that is also, you know, a, a, a very big benefit. And then also the moment that we realize that we are more than the physical body, because we have out-of-body experiences. Many times people want to explore what is it that they were doing before being born. So before I was Luis Minero, which is my physical identity, who was I or who am I as a soul, as a spirit, right? And by the same token, towards the future, right? The moment that this physical reality ends, you know, the moment this physical body passes away, where will I go? And then I realized that in an out-of-body experience, also, I can get a preview, an understanding to a certain extent. Ah, okay, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be studying this. I'm going to be preparing this next chapter of my development, if I can describe it in this fashion. So those are also, you know, important benefits uh, related to spiritual growth as well. And now we're going to pause for a second for the question of the week. This is from Lara. Lara asks... Have any mediums ever told you things that you said were wrong or no to, and then later came true? Oh, I love that question. There are actually two things that really stand out that this happened with. Early on in my research, when I pretty much thought this was not true, a medium who has sadly passed away, who was certified by the Forever Family Foundation, Sandra O'Hara, told me, she said, who's Joe? Your dad keeps talking about Joe. And I was like, I, I don't know. I, I can't think of any Joes that are an important person in my life, or I can't think of any Joes that I'm good friends with or dated or anything. And she said, well, Pay attention to the name Joe. Joe's going to be coming into your life and he's going to be very important to you. I was like, okay, you know, do I have to swipe right on every Joe now that I find on an app or, you know, what? So I since have met, you know, Joe Peretta. He's a medium. I've had him on other episodes and he's become one of my good friends and he's become key in my life and afterlife research and we even did some experiments together and he ended up actually getting reading himself with Sandra and she made a really big difference in his life so the other thing that stands out is I went to another medium and I said no to every single thing she said She seemed honest. I don't think she was trying to cheat, but she just wasn't getting anything. She first described my dad and every single thing was wrong about him. He was kind of like what you'd imagine, almost like a cliche of a dad. And then after that, 
she started to tell me, again, this was very early in my research, way before I would have ever considered writing a book, way before I found Forever Family Foundation and started volunteering. And she said, you know, I see you doing something with this work. And she's like, I see you're really going to be doing stuff with like mediumship. And then she paused and she's like, this is weird because I don't think you have any abilities. I was like, okay, that's like the one right thing she said so far. And then she said, I see you doing stuff with this in some really unique way. I see you speaking in front of groups of people and helping people with this work. And I basically scored that all as zero. I was like, I barely believe this. I think this stuff is all so weird and such bullshit. Like I'm getting some readings and taking a shot in the dark out of desperation and at least trying to look at this, but I'm not even going to tell anyone I went to a medium. So, you know, down the line, here it is. And while she was wrong about everything with my dad, she was so on point with everything with what the fuck just happened and my volunteer work with Forever Family Foundation. And, you know, that's something I'll talk about in another episode, but it seems that maybe she was not a good medium, but was a good psychic. And maybe there's some, maybe she has just precognition, which means she can see the future. I mean, that's getting into a lot of speculation and hopefully stuff they'll be more funding to study the differences like that at some point. If you have a question you want me to answer, send it to hello at wtfjusthappened.net and put question of the week in the subject. I know I usually say first names, but if you want to be completely anonymous, let me know. And feel free to reach out anyway, even if you don't have a question. I can't wait to hear your questions and hear from you. Hi, can I ask all of you listening a favor that would be so helpful? Would you mind rating and reviewing this podcast on whatever app you're listening? Even just clicking the star button to rate would be so helpful. With lesser known podcasts, ratings make a huge difference in the algorithm and whether new listeners can even find this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You ever wonder what mediums do with their free time? How about a 30-something-year-old gay medium living in New York City? Well, in this podcast, you're about to find out. Welcome to Ghost Daddy, a place where LGBTQ plus spiritual people and our cis-hetero allies, of course, have a place to just be themselves and spread their wisdom. This is the new face of spirituality. None of that love and light, toxic positivity crap. So pour yourself a vodka soda, <laughs> open up your mind, and start listening. You can listen to the Ghost Daddy podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts. Let our listeners know where they can find you. Yeah, for sure. Well, the, the easiest place is our website, you know, uh, mosaicwe, 
wellnessandeducation.com. So mosaic, W-E for wellnessandeducation.com. You can see there all of the courses that we have, uh, you know, online, recorded, and even we have certain activities that happen every month regularly for people to practice with their energies and to develop their skills. And even we have what we call sort of like open office hours. More or less the first Monday of each month, we have a a period of time in which one of us sits, sometimes it's me, sometimes it's another one of my colleagues, and we just simply sit in front of our Zoom room and anybody all over the world connects and asks whatever they, they want you know, about the topic. So that there as well, you can, uh, you know, you can take advantage of that. And my book is everywhere. Amazon, Google, books, etc. I will put all the links in the show notes to your social media, to your website. So thank you so much, Lewis. I think this was both fascinating and tangible. This is something that's approachable to people as well as absolutely fascinating. <laughs> thank you. get more information on what the fuck just happened, go to wtfjusthappened.net. There you can order my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife. And you can learn all about how I came to conclude that there most likely is an afterlife. You can also learn about the early stages of my grief and the amazing, fascinating people I met along the way. You can also read about how much I harassed them, trying to get evidence, see if they were cheating, and see if they were sane. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It makes such a difference, especially for a new podcast like this one. And if any of you have had a crazy what the fuck yourself, have any questions, feedback, or just want to say hi, reach out on either Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore or email me at hello at WTF just happened.net. And remember, you don't have to draw any final conclusions as you wonder what the fuck just happened. Mm -hmm.